Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another weekend. The Eagles are coming off one of their most disappointing losses in quite some time as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 148. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to talk about the Eagles loss on Sunday against the Tennessee Titans. What went wrong in Nashville and how did the Eagles rebound this week with the Minnesota Vikings coming to town? Greg and I will cover all of that and more. Next up, we'll transition to my scouting report where I'll go through my notes on a guy I broke down a few years ago coming out of LSU. That's Donnell Hunter. He's now one of the best players on an aggressive Minnesota defense. We'll talk about Hunter and how he's a player that has helped me forge some of my opinions on what I look for in pass rushers transitioning from college to the NFL. But before we get into that discussion, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles and their loss to Tennessee and to preview next week's game against Minnesota. Let's get to that chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Joining me once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast presented by Gatorade is none other than NFL Film Senior Producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, you and I got a chance to watch this game together here uh, at the Novacare Complex on Sunday. Uh, the Eagles disappointing A sad loss. moment, Fran. A yes, sad moment. Very much so. Um, which we almost kind of watched in slow motion yes. on the final drive because it was a strenuous drive. To Even though the drive seemed like it took about three hours. That's what I mean. It was, <laughs> it was tough. Um, but wasn't with you to watch the tape this morning and we you know you and I haven't talked too much about what we saw on film so excited to kind of get into our thoughts here as we talk about this loss let's start first on offense where you know generally I thought that the offense moved the ball well when they were able to protect Carson I thought they moved it almost at will and then they got into key spots and it kind of sputtered out and a couple, one negative play happened and they weren't unable to recover and you settled for three instead right. of six or you settled for a punt instead of three and that was kind of the story of the game offensively. Yeah, I thought Carson threw the ball really well, and we, we noticed that pretty much right away when we were watching the game. The first throw. The first throw. And and, and then that third and – was it third and 21 throw to Aguilar? I mean, that was a big-time NFL Ridiculous throw. Ridiculous throw. I didn't put it in my um, in the Eagle Eye in the Sky column um, just because it didn't fit any of the themes. But this was a play. It was third. Was it third and 20? I thought it was third and 21. Yeah, it was, and yeah. he goes down and it was – was it all verts or was it four verts? And he was the inside – whatever it was. Nelson Aguilar was running down the seam uh, as a slot receiver. And he put the ball over the linebacker, yep. under the safety, on a line. On a line. Just yep. on the money for yep. what should have been a touch. Or a first <clears throat> but time. I thought he threw the ball really well. Even that slot fade to Jeffrey, uh, which Big was time. put right, right on his uh, hands. He couldn't have handed to him yep. any better. So I thought overall he threw the ball well. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily f- notice it watching the game because you're sort of in the flow of the game. But watching the tape, I kind of felt they got a little out of whack in their run pass hmm. uh, balance given that they went ahead right i mean it'd be one thing if they were behind or or let's say tied but they didn't run the ball as much as i thought they they could have yeah. and that's always easy to say after the fact i mean i made the note after just looking it up after i watched the tape that Wentz had 56 call dropbacks 
and Ajayi and Smallwood had 20 rushes. They averaged 4.92 yards a carry on first down. 12 rushes, right. 4.92. So they were running the ball well. Now, they had a couple of negative runs on first down, and those are the kind of things I know, uh, you know, listening to Doug in the past, I remember uh, him saying this after that loss in Kansas City last year where LeGarrette Blunt didn't have any carries. Right, right, talk. right. He said, yeah, we had a couple of runs early that, that were, you know, that kind of took us out of it. And that, looking back on this game, I know he has said, like, yeah, I do wish I kind of ran the ball a little bit more. Well, they were, and, and they got the 17-3 lead. Uh, and they're without obviously they go right. in they're without uh, Corey Clement they're without Darren Sproles right. and you have Jay Ajayi nursing that back right. injury so to a certain extent I do kind of get it but yes I would agree I think and Doug has said he wishes he kind of ran the ball a little bit more in the game. right and and the one thing that was interesting too is Wentz was really good out of twelve personnel in this game yeah he was fourteen for eighteen for two hundred and one yards and a touchdown. Uh, out of 12 personnel. Now, obviously, they played far more 11 personnel with three wide receivers in this game for obvious reasons. Alshon Jeffrey was back for the first time this season, and it was Jordan Matthews' second game, so he was probably just more comfortable. Even though he'd been here before, I'm sure he's just getting more acclimated again. So they lined up with more snaps of 11 personnel than they did a week before when, as we discussed last week, two-thirds of their snaps had multiple tight ends on the field. Yeah, I was a little... I actually kind of... I almost expected a little bit more 12 um, than what we saw, especially right. early when when Woodyard went out. Yes. Um, I thought maybe they would go a little bit more 12. You had the rookie out there, Rashawn Evans. He Who looks played like, the, the majority of the snaps. And he looks like he's still kind of thinking things. I, I agree. Bit. I agree. He's he doesn't. He's not, I wouldn't call him a liability for them, but he's not making plays yet. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so no, they definitely went more more 11 personnel. And Carson was dealing, man. I mean, yeah, he, he was, was. He was pinpoint accurate most of the time. Um, you know, as long as they were able to keep him protected, which we'll get to in a little bit. Yep. Um, you know that that was really the, the the interesting part for the for me in this game last week. We talked about hey, he's back athletically. He was able to create. He was able to break the pocket. Uh, you know, you saw flashes of everything last week. The velocity certainly was th- certainly was there, but he looked like the total package yeah. this week. It was awesome. Yeah. Now it's funny just talking about their approach. You know, keep in mind that the. Um, the Titans literally played nickel on every snap. Yep. So I they know. were, and that might be why yeah. they didn't go to twelve because they yeah. probably just said, yeah. "Hey, you know what? They're not, they're yeah. not, they're not, they're not, they're not biting for this. They're, they're not biting nickel. for this yeah. exactly. They were probably hoping to get base personnel, and this way they'd get a matchup they liked against the, one point. of the two tight ends. But they played nickel on every snap. Yep. Now, one of the big issues, and before we get into the, the offensive line and then the, the not necessarily the offensive line, but just the issues in protection. You know, the, everyone wants to look, look on third down. This team was really bad. You know, they were five of fifteen on third Correct. down. Um, and yeah. last year they led the league. Yeah, last year they led the league on third down. Carson was four of eleven yesterday, thirty-six percent completion, seventy yards, one touchdown, just one sack. But um, overall, Greg, fifteen snaps on third down. Do you know what the average to go distance was for Carson Wentz in this offense yesterday? I do not, but you're going to tell me. Third and nine point six seven. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And so, and even then, I almost I like did the math like six times to make right. sure that I was right. You're, you're going to be five for fifteen if you if on average yeah. you have nine point six yards to go. Right. And so you go and you look at that and you're just like, how does that happen? You look at the first down numbers and look. All right, Carson was seventeen of twenty two. He completed seventy seven percent of his passes on first down. He threw a touchdown on first down. His quarterback rating was almost one hundred and sixteen on first down. They ran, I mentioned earlier, they ran for almost five yards of carry on first down. How did that happen? But then you look at it, and I look at the totality of it, 36 total first down plays, almost half of them, 17 of them, went for two yards or less. You had two sacks. 
You had five busted screens. You had one holding penalty. You had five runs that went for two yards less. You had three, I, I don't know if you would say them drops, but right. three incompletions on catchable throws. Like Maybe they didn't hit the receiver's hands, but you would hope that they would be caught. Those are self-inflicted wounds that if five of them don't happen, right. you're probably talking about a different game. Right. Well, and that's that's why you win and that's why you lose. Why, right. But but you know it's funny. Having said all that and the reason we're discussing that is because they lost. Yes. Okay? But they were up 17-3 in the third quarter. Yep. Against an offense that's really up until yesterday had not shown much at all. Yep. And ultimately that's a game you have to win. Even if you don't score another point, that's a game you have to win. So before we get into the defensive side, let's just first talk about what we're seeing from a protection standpoint. Yeah, because, that's a little bit of an issue. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's been an issue over the course yeah. of the last few weeks. Um, you know, We saw uh, Tampa Bay get after quarterback Nick Foles. We saw Indianapolis get after Carson yeah. Wentz. And we saw uh, this week, obviously, Tennessee get after well, Carson Wentz. Well, teams are it's, – it's on tape. This is not – we're not saying anything out of school here. This is on tape. Yep. And as they say in the business, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. That's the name of the podcast. There you go. So what you're seeing is the Eagles are clearly having problems, number one, with stunts, number two, with blitzes. And then there are teams that do blitzes and stunts within the same play. And with Tennessee, they were also very multiple with their front looks. And now, now I don't. We, saw, we said that last week, right? Like, and everyone, I remember we we posted, we talked about this last week, and we put it on the Eagle on the Sky article previewing Tennessee, and everyone's like, oh, "Okay, yeah, the Eagles have never seen looks like this before," and like kind of like calling it. No, like this is a this is a good defense, right? Like, got talent at all three levels, and the scheme's good, right? Right, and 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 there are three four base. And teams that are 3-4 base tend to be more multiple with their front looks. Yeah. We'll get to Minnesota, but they're not likely to be as multiple. Right. They do a, something we'll get to, but they're not as multiple overall sure. as, as Tennessee was. But there were a lot of multiple front looks. Yep. Uh, what they call the diamond front five across, the double mug, which Minnesota does. And they had multiple pressure schemes from many of their looks. And they cause some assignment breakdowns. They cause some confusion here and there. I mean, it was. And then there were just some plays where individuals did not, you know, guys got beat. I mean, Jarrell Casey had some individual plays where he he beat either uh, uh, Stefan Wisniewski or Brandon Brooks. Yeah. And Jarrell Casey, as you and I have talked about, about defensive linemen in the NFL, he might not be a well-known name to a lot of people in the Philadelphia area. But Jarrell Casey is a top. Top six five, or seven yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, D tackle yeah. in the league. I would, I would say so. Yeah, I I actually have said that I think he's the best defensive player they've faced so far this year. Atlanta, Tampa, Indy. Oh, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think per- he's the best. Particularly, I think he's yeah. the best player he's faced, I mean, faced all year. Arguably, at his best, you could say Gerald McCoy, right. but yep. I would, you, arguably. That, that would be in that yeah. same tier. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not as easy. I mean, last last year when they they benched Isaac Sayamalu, right? It was easy to say like, "Oh, Isaac's going to be." It's not something where you can point your finger on it and say like, "This is the number one reason." Like you said, it it's it's something different each time. Correct. And it could be, hey, this time the left guard got beat. This time maybe the running back missed an assi- missed his assignment. This time, hey, they got confused on a te stunt and the pinner won. He pinned Jason Peters outside, and then Jarrell Casey gets in for the sack. Like. That, that, that sack that you're talking about, that, see, there was a, just your basic TE stunt. Yeah. And obviously, um, I know it was Casey who ended up with the sack. I think it was a Rackpo. It was a Rackpo looping. Right, yep. a Rackpo looping. Yep. But they did such a good job that Casey just immediately got inside of Jason Peters. Yeah, and the the thing that doesn't help is what we talked about earlier in terms of the being behind the sticks. Right. The, the Harold Landry sack, 
I was going the sack into fumble, it, you mean? The sack fumble. Yeah. I was going into it thinking like, all right, like was Lane late off the ball? What did he false step? Was he really bad with his hands? No. Like Well, and he here's the blew other issue. Up field. But here's the other issue. When teams stunt effectively and you're having problems with stunts, very often tackles do not jump out as quickly because they're mm. just set up for that. Interesting. You know, so because I've talked with coaches about that, it becomes because the way they're taught based on a front. Let's say you have a a three technique or even a four eye defensive yep. tackle, and then you have a wider. So someone def- lined up between the guard. And yeah, tackle. Yep. yeah, and then you have a wider uh, defensive end. Yep, that's a stunt look. Sure, pre snap. So the way it's often taught is that the offensive tackle, as he starts his set in pass protection, kind of gets his inside, inside arm yep. out because he may be getting a stunt. But part of that, and it's just human nature, is you're kind of a, a, a just a half a beat slow getting outside yeah. because there's a concern with a stunt. Yeah. So now when you get that guy exploding off the edge, as Harold Landry did. Knowing that he's right. got to pin his ears back and go. Yeah. Right. Sometimes, you know. That's what can happen. No so what we're saying is these kinds of things, they're on tape. They're snowballing a little bit. They've got to get this cleaned up. Yeah, especially with what they've got. Not just this week because you've got Mike Zimmer this well, week. Well, they've got Jacksonville coming up as well. They've, so you've got Mike, you have Mike Zimmer this week. You have James Betcher next week. Right. And you've got Jacksonville. And, and even though the Giants right now are not a good team, James, James Betcher is very him. multiple with yeah. what he does. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... Those are three big yeah. tests we're yeah. going to be talking about the next three weeks for this offensive yeah. line, this protection yep. scheme. Uh, no question, they're going to have to get things uh, straightened up from that standpoint. Um, all right, so let's go to the uh, to the defensive side. And you know, the, you mentioned this was not a good offensive football team, Tennessee coming into no. the, coming into the game. Uh, questions about uh, Marcus Mariota's health, the run game. Yeah, they want to run the football, but they're not. They're not very good at it. At it. Yes, um, and the Eagles were very very good defending the run coming into the game. They were able to get downfield. Mario threw the ball pretty well in this game. This was the I, I, I do Tennessee Nashville radio every you, week, so you, Fran, you as you know. Every week, so yeah. I've seen Tennessee, you know, every snap for five years, and and this was the most aggressive under the new coordinator. Obviously, they have a new coordinator. We spoke about Matt him yep. last week and his background with Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay. This was the most aggressive that I've seen them look. I'm sure it was because Mariota was healthy. The normal progression of learning a new offense, maybe they feel, you know, now, hey, everybody's getting it. You got Jack Conklin back. You have Jack Conklin back, back, right? They had their starting O-line, and Corey Davis continues to emerge as a healthy player. Don't forget, he was the number five pick in a draft. Oh, I remember. I was heartbroken when he went fifth overall. And people, (laughs) I think he was a consensus top 15. Maybe he wasn't a consensus top five, but he was a consensus top 15, wouldn't you say? No question. So... You know, this they were very aggressive, and it was right from the start of the game. All the misdirection, you know, everything to get a fast flow defense that was probably juiced up to get back, you know, to to play, and they they really exploited the Eagles a little bit. Yeah, not the offense that I watched through. Three no, games. not at all. Yeah, yeah they yeah. were super aggressive. Yeah, and you know, look the the other thing too, you lose Rodney McLeod. You and I talked about that it was a all big loss. Review. I mean, the you know you have Corey Graham in there. Eventually, you saw. Uh, you know, Avante Maddox, Avante Maddox was essentially the, playing the single yeah. free, sa- the single high safety role. No question. And so when you look at, um, you know, that going in, and Roddy McLeod was the post player more often than not, and we he was used more in the box this year than we've. Kind but of he's seen. still. But he's the post. Free player safety mo- is his been than his yeah. position in the NFL. So I feel like right. they kind of saw that and they said, "Hey, <coughs> let, yep. know, let's let's do this." 
let's let's talk about it. what are your just your overall thoughts on areas of concern with that area, just with getting beaten downfield, the big well, plays allowed. What are your I, big I thought that Jim Schwartz's approach from the beginning, in a sense, told you what he thought of his own defense. Because this, he blitzed more. The first mm-hmm. quarter, he blitzed quite a bit. Yep. There were four snaps of cover zero in the first quarter. Now, one of them was third and one. Right. So that's, that's, that's more tough, of a yeah. run zero. But there were three snaps of cover zero in the first quarter. He was more aggressive than usual. So I think he felt that he really had to get after this offense. And you blitz for any number of reasons. But this is a secondary for the most part. Now, they were, they've been really good at times. But it's not a press man group. They don't play that way. The corners predominantly play with a cushion. It's more zone than man. Yep. Which, real quick, sorry. A lot of fans are like, oh, why aren't they pressing? That's the philosophy of the defense. There is no perfect defensive scheme. Otherwise, every team would play the same defense. And, way. We and, just won a Super Bowl right. playing this way throughout the course of the entire season. Correct. Okay, so, sorry. I mean, look, yeah. could they start doing more of that now as a response to what's happening? Sure they could. Right. But they did win a Super Bowl. You know, last year, keep in mind, last year at the end of the season, we were all talking about Jalen Mills as an ascending player. Now, he may still be, but he's had a few struggles, which, by the way, in the NFL, corners do go through struggles, young corners, because, you know, the receivers are pretty good. So he's going through a little bit of a struggle right now. You know, Ronald Darby is capable of playing press man. He did that at Florida State, and he did that in Buffalo before the Eagles traded for him. But the philosophy of Jim Schwartz has been not to blitz a lot. He did, obviously, this week, but not a high-percentage blitz team. And they play with their corners with a cushion, and they play a lot of single-high cover three. That's kind of the philosophy. And they've been able to get a consistent pass rush. The pass rush has been a little more sporadic this year. I, I wouldn't say it's been terrible, but it's not been. We thought of the Eagles as being a dominant pass rush team. It hasn't been dominant. It's been sporadic. Wouldn't yeah. you agree? I mean, I think the rush was better than we thought. Like, watching the film, I, I would the agree. rush was better right. than we thought right. watching right. on TV. Right. But, but, yeah, I, I see right. what you're saying. But yes. they're not, I mean, whether they're not getting home, whatever the reason, right. it's, it's, it just doesn't seem as, as dominant. Right. Yeah. And I think, to the other part of it, look, and, and this goes into Jalen Mills. We talked about it after the Tampa game, you know, the the – the opening play, right. the Deshaun Jackson long touchdown. He's expecting help. Well, he inside. was definitely expecting help. No question. I look at the 51-yarder, the Corey Davis. I think he's in that coverage. You've talked about it in the past. I know you guys have broken down the coverage on right. uh, three ro- on matchups this week yeah. or this year. Yeah, um, It's what we call three, three robber. robber. Tell, take us through the difference between just cover three and then cover three robber because they've played that coverage, honestly, I feel like a little bit more this year yeah. than in years past. Well, cover three, conventional cover three – is a zone concept in which the corners do tend to play with a cushion and they normally play with outside leverage funneling receivers into the middle with a safety in conventional cover three who's playing relatively deep. Now, it could be 16 yards, 18 yards, 20 yards. That's a philosophy. But the, but the single high safety is playing deep because theoretically on the blackboard, no route should get over the top of him. You know how hard it's been for me to try and stop saying blackboard because no one uses blackboards anymore? I know, I know. I've been trying really hard to get out of that. Well, I'm old, Fred. I've been doing this a long time. All right, so go ahead. Three robber, which is what I call it. I don't know what Jim Schwartz calls it, but I call it three robber. Yeah. Because it's the same concept, okay, to some degree. But in three robber, you're bringing that single high safety 
closer to the line of scrimmage. He might only be 10 or 12 yards from the line of scrimmage. So to make up for that, what you normally do is you have your corners play a few yards deeper because they have to theoretically now be over-the-top defenders. Yep, They're not going to get help on a deep post from the robber because the robber is lower. He's closer to the line of scrimmage. Yep. So the way I think of this, too, and this was when I first got here, and I remember studying Kyle Shanahan's offense with Washington – and how they were so good at going, and he still is, so good at forcing teams to play single high. They'd go heavy personnel right. as far as you come down right. and play Alfred Morris and RG3 down the close to the box. Plays, yep, yeah. Exactly. And it's the same, the same offensive well, it's line. Well, Yeah, exactly. Coming from that um, background. Coming from that yeah. background. Uh, and then running post-cross with RG3 right. all day. Attacking that single high safety and conventional cover three and force him. Make a decision. Are you going to defend the crosser in front of you or the post behind you? With cover three robber, you're declare you're saying you're declaring that that the safety is not going to play the post behind. So exactly. the way that normally works then, and it would have to be coached this way because if you're going to take that safety out of the mix as a deep middle of the field defender, then the backside corner from the post has to become the deep defender. Has to. Has to. Yep. So it was interesting because watching that for that 51 yarder and even the honestly the, the look the titans it wasn't just like these deep posts they found ways to attack right. three robber and single high right. throughout the course yes, of the they game did. they did a couple of different things that were yeah. really good there was the one where they ran uh two vertical routes right at Jalen Mills and he had to kind of split the difference how about the one Darius Jennings dropped, dropped. that was that yeah i think it might yeah. have been that yeah. play yeah. um <laughs> then there was one early in the game to Corey Davis that he dropped down the field Mariota kind of under I think over, Corey Davis actually bit. slowed down when i looked at the tape yeah. so i it, it made me think that Mariota's throw was pretty good but yeah. Yeah. But either, either, either way, way. incomplete. Yeah. But that was the same kind of idea. Yeah. They ran something right in front of yep. the robber, and Jalen Mills is passing off, thinking he's got help there, and it's not there. Right. Um, so D- Davis is wide open, but he broke down the coverage. Um, I forget ex- exactly where I was even going with this, but uh, you know, they found different ways to kind of they attack did. that. And what I saw was on the very first play of overtime, the Titans took a deep shot. They wanted to go off. I pretty it was off play action. They ran. It was a deep post this time coming from Ronald Darby's side. Except Mariota didn't throw the ball. Why did he throw the ball? Because because Jalen Mills fell back and was there right. on the backside. Which he of that. has that that backside corner has to. Yeah. Now so there the was a reason was for that because that was the tight end who was on the line of scrimmage. But still, on the fifty-one yarder, and again, we're not calling Ronald Darby out here. I, you know, I'm this pretty I'm pretty sure we're right, and he's probably being called out by the I coaches, but. You know, when when his guy disappeared and he disappeared inside very early in the down, he ended up just covering grass. Yeah. Not as, it's not as blatant as the Corey Graham play of fourth and fifteen. Right, right. But in in essence, that's what he's his man is gone. He's gotta make sure that he's there to be there for help. He becomes for Jalen Mills. in a sense the middle yes. deep defender when yep. his man disappears. Because that's what Mills did on the pre on that right. play that talked right. about on the first right. play overtime. So we'll show that. Uh if you're depending on when you're listening to this, it could already be up on Twitter on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, on the Eagle Line this guy, uh defensive recap. But um, that was one of my big takeaways just watching. Yeah. Uh, defensively up front, I thought the pass rush was better than, like I said, I thought it was better than what we thought. I thought we saw some good play from Michael Bennett, very active up yep. front. Um, did lose contain on that Marcus Mariota, uh, that Marcus Mariota scramble on third and long. Um, that kind of hurt as well. The one where he didn't quite get a first down. Yeah, but, but then they said, that, yeah, that was a killer. Yeah, that was they, a killer. They ran a stunt there and he yeah. was able to break. That, that kind of hurt. But outside of that, I thought Bennett was very disruptive. Fletcher Cox was disruptive. They were able to get home, or they were able to get there a few times, 
and the ball just got out yep. just before, but they also well. did get home and impact the passer quite a few times as well. Um, so overall, any other big thoughts from the game? You know, it was an odd game because when it got to be 17-3, and this is an, an X and O comment, but I think you and I watching the game together felt like, okay, they're totally in control of this game, right? Didn't we kind of feel that yeah, way? Yeah. He hits Jeff, Alshon Jeffrey for the touchdown. Nice drive. They go up 17-3 in the third quarter. Feeling pretty good. And you're kind of feeling that Tennessee's not scoring 20 points in this game. Yeah. So it was just – it was an odd game watching their defense give up some big plays, but also those those kind of annoying plays, you know, that were eight-yard plays. Yep. You know, just – it. it and and maybe you have the numbers, but th- there seemed to me to be a lot of n- – not a lot of, of – um, what's the best way to say it? There were a lot of, of long yardage plays in which they gained a lot of yards. If they right. didn't get a first down, they gained a lot of yards. Right, yeah. I, I don't have those yeah, numbers yeah. in front of me. But the one thing I do have, and this is something I want to just pick your brain on this one thing. You talk about complementary football and how the defense impacts the offense, right. the offense impacts the defense, special teams impacting both. Sure. In terms of field position, I was thinking this way, and I actually texted Ben Fennel uh, last night to look it up this morning. Average starting field position, because I feel like the Eagles this year have started with really poor field position. They did in this game a couple of times. They did in this game a couple of times. The Atlanta game they did a couple of times. And I just kept thinking, man, like, there's a lot of drives where they're starting with the ball, like, inside their own 10. Yeah. Inside, you know, at the That's 15. hard. They're 30th right now in average starting field position in the NFL, and they finished last year third. And I think that that limits your play calling. It limits your play calling, and it just it makes it difficult, especially yeah. the first couple games this season where you're playing with limited skill player time. Yeah. Even going into this game, you're still a little oh, short-handed. Yeah. yeah, you still um, are. Yeah, I think that uh, that definitely has an impact. I couldn't agree more. So that's, I mean, that's another take. The reality is, in this league, it's hard to go 85 yards for yeah. a touchdown. Right, no question. All right, let's talk about Minnesota. Um I got a chance to watch that game live on Thursday night. I watched the film on Friday. Um, you and I have talked about it yep. a little bit. Look, defense. let's start with our defense because going into a season, and honestly going into this game, you we know what Mike Zimmer's defense is able to do. You know the challenges they're going to present. We've talked about it on this podcast each of the last couple of years because the Eagles have played the Vikings the last two seasons. There's a lot of pressure they're going to bring, um, maybe not from a different wide variety. It looks like what we talked about with Tennessee, but definite threats both inside and outside, and it all starts with that double A-gap look pre-snap. Well, I think you would have said going into this season that the Vikings are a top three defense in the NFL. Yes. You know, people would talk about Jacksonville. Minnesota would probably be right there in that conversation. Yep. Um, you mentioned the double A-gap, double mug front as we call it. That's sort of a foundational pressure look. Because what that does, first and foremost, is it dictates protections. And you're always trying to do that when you're a defensive team, is dictate the protections, because then you know how to break them down, one. And number two, it also can force an offense to keep a back in the protection and reduce the number of eligible receivers by one. And football is a numbers game when you're talking about defense. So if you can do that, not that you win the down, but it gives you an advantage before the ball snapped. Yep, it's no, it's no different. We were talking about the Kyle Shanahan and, yep. and Sean McVay thing of you know trying to force teams to play single high, so you can attack the single high. Right, team. right, right. It's the same thing on the other side. I mean, you're trying to you know say, okay, I know how you're going to protect when I line up this way. 
So I know you're gonna try and put the back here. Right. So now I'm gonna bring a back going or bring a safety going the other way that you aren't gonna be able to bring the back home to protect. When you get down to it, every team defensively would theoretically like to be in a position where they rush for cover with seven but force the other team to only have four or three eligible receivers releasing into routes. Right. That's the ultimate goal. Yeah, no question. And so, they do a very good job of that. Yes. Um, you know, because they'll line up where it could be any one of four or seven players coming, but four or only five may come. I mean, you mentioned the double mug front. So what that means for people is it's Eric Kendricks and Anthony Barr will line up each in the A-gap on the line of scrimmage. Okay, So they're right there on either side of the offensive center, right on the line of scrimmage. You must account for them in protection because they're literally a yard from your quarterback. Yeah. So you can't say, well, they're not going to come. Right. They're right there. They're yeah. a yard from your quarterback. So the way 99.9% of teams address that is the center accounts for one and the back in the backfield accounts for the other. Yep. Now, you have to account for them. So yeah. that's what happens. Now, what they often add to that, not every time, but what they often add to that is they put Harrison Smith on the line of scrimmage on the outside. Yep. So he becomes an on-the-ball edge defender. And sometimes he comes, sometimes he doesn't. Yep. But again, he's on the line of scrimmage now. So what you basically have are seven defenders, the four down linemen, the two double A gap players, Kendricks and Barr, and Harrison Smith on the line of scrimmage. Seven defenders on the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and then the other thing they'll do is they'll take one of those D tackles lined up next to the linebackers. And they will stand him up. Last Correct. Year, it used to be uh, it used Brian to be Ryan Robeson. Robeson. Now it could be Sheldon Richardson. You know, right. Whoever they line up in there, they will stand him up. So and what three I guys and obviously they don't have there. Everson Griffin. But if they did, my guess is that would soon become Weatherly. But yeah. but they don't have Griffin. So right. yep. So I feel like you know our hardcore listeners that have been listening over you know over the last few years. They the you know the dozen or so of them right uh, right <laughs> they uh, yeah. our wives yeah right exactly. yeah exactly they um you know they might say guys I've listened to you guys talk about this for the last three years because we play the Vikings every year they know how to block this up the Eagles look they they do know how to block this well, up well everybody knows have- theoretically Fran everybody knows how to do everything yeah. That doesn't mean it happens in the game. But there are always going to be wrinkles that they do Correct. off of it. They're going to do different kinds of games off of it. The Eagles gave up a sack this this past week against Tennessee off of the very same front. Where there was a clear assignment breakdown. Right. These things do happen. Yeah. And, and you know, because look, the when you when you line up a certain way and you protect a certain way against a certain look, defenses are going to find ways to try and make adjustments off that. Tennessee's adjustment to knowing how we were going to block up the double-A gap front was that they were going to slant their guys uh, inside away from the slide. And anything, it just, It's just like zone blocking in the right. run game. If you, the best way to defeat zone blocking in the run game is to have different slants and scrapes, and now you're messing with assignments. Things exactly. get muddied up, and that's exactly right. what happened. You had Sharif Finch coming in scot-free uh, against Carson Wentz. He's completely untouched. Everybody and their mother uh, on, the, on Twitter is killing Wendell Smallwood. It wasn't Wendell Smallwood wasn't who Wendell made the Smallwood mistake. That wasn't Wendell Smallwood play. No. It, now, in theory, yes. He's like, you, do you want him to try something? He's stepping up to try and help no, Kelsey it wasn't block his that, play. Uh, the backside backer. We, we walked through it, Fran. It's really simple. P- people can't see it, so we're not going to do that now. Of course. But it was not Wendell Smallwood's play. Yeah. It's, 
Um, it's a tough thing to go up against, and it's something that they're certainly going to have to be ready for because you know that Mike Zimmer has, has – look, they had the long break too. They've got their own issues that they're working on. Uh, and Mike Zimmer is not a kumbaya kind of guy. This is no. not going to be a fun week no, I don't in, think uh, so. for the Vikings no, in practice. I don't think so. <laughs> um, but they're looking, at, they're looking at this, and they're saying, okay – you know, they're, they're have these issues here. This is how they're protecting it. This is what we're going to do. The Eagles are having issues. The Vikings are going to challenge those issues. No question. Um, the linebackers this week against L.A., I thought they they probably had one of their worst games collectively that I've seen them from three years. And this is Anthony Barr and Kendricks. They really had a lot of trouble with the play action, the jet stuff, everything that uh, Sean McVay and the Rams like to do. So here's my question. Will the Eagles play a lot of 12 this week because the Vikings – are pretty straightforward in their yes. personnel packages. Yep. Unlike Tennessee, for instance, that played nickel to 12, the Vikings tend to be pretty straightforward, which means Ben Gideon, their third linebacker, would be on the field. Yep. And I think the Eagles would feel, if he's on the field, that he's, for want of a better word, and it might not even be a word, but that he's attackable. He's vulnerable. In the pass game. Yes. L.A. showed that the other night. They, right. They found ways to attack them in base. I... I agree with you. I think that that's definitely something we could see. Um, I think the, the, the other big thing to watch, too, uh, Trey Wayne's uh, – Well, he, he got a concussion. He got a concussion. I don't, he had, I don't know if he'll early. be back. Think, yeah. yeah, like I don't you – know, but he was he was vulnerable yes. as well. He, uh, he's an up and down – for a guy with a Man. lot of physical talent yes. for the corner position, almost exactly what you want from a physical talent standpoint – has had a very up and down career. Yeah, it was a. Uh, it's it's been a rough go. He had a knee injury week one. He had the ankle injury week three. Yeah, he had the concussion week four. I know. Uh, so it's been kind of a rough go for him. Um, but yeah, this is this is it's going to be an interesting game to, from a game plan standpoint. Yes, I, that is something that I've thought of as well in terms of how uh, they'll attack this from a personnel standpoint. Last year in the playoff game, now Xavier Rhodes got hurt midway through, and he was he was out for a little bit of time here and there. Um, but he shadowed Alshon Jeffrey in the game, so he kind of followed him. Wouldn't surprise me. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, which would then put, if it's Trey Wayne's, it's Trey Wayne's. Or it might be not, Mike Hughes. It would be Mike Hughes, the rookie from Central. Who Florida. I like. Yeah, I like Mike yeah. Hughes a lot. He kind of fits that defense really yeah. well. Um, Mike Hughes could be shadowing uh, Nelson. Aguilar he might be the better player right now, given Wayne's injuries. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. Uh, that's going to be very interesting. And then talk about just Harrison Smith and what value he brings. We talked about him as a blitzer, but everything else that he brings to that defense. Well, I mean, we know he's a good player. I actually think their safety duo is really good. I think Sandejo, Andrew Sandejo, is a really good player, too. You like, you like Sandejo more than I do. Yeah, but I think they're, they're interchangeable players. They, they can both play deep. They can both play in the box. They do play a lot of two-shell. Yep. That's sort of the way they start often with a two-shell look, and then they either stay in it or they go to other sure. things from it. Yep. But Smith can, can cover. I know people think back to last year when Ertz beat him right before the half on that great out-and-up move, you know, yep. which was a great move, great move. Yep. and everybody gets beat once in a while. But Harrison Smith is a really good player. He can blitz. He can cover. He's very good in the run game as, as sort of a filling safety. Yep. Uh, so he's just a very good player. The guy who really has impressed me, as this is especially poignant with uh, Everson Griffin out. Is Weatherly? Um, no. Weather, Weatherly has impressed. He, he's impressed. He's pretty good because yeah. he was a project player, like a Sam out linebacker of out of Vanderbilt. Right? Yeah. He's really impressed. He's impressed. Sheldon Richardson, Sheldon Richardson early on looked very, very disruptive. He yeah. made a lot of plays in this game, too. He can get pushed off the ball a little bit in the run game. But he's quick. Danell Hunter. Yeah, he's a good player. He's a good player. Yeah. Man. I'm going to talk about him in the next segment. And, you know, it's That's funny you mention player. him because – he got drafted high, and 
the thought was he would be a pass rusher, but in his career at LSU, he had 1.5 sacks. Yeah. And you watched him on tape, and you saw the athleticism and the length and all those good things that we like to talk about when we think we know what we're talking about. Right. Right, right. And, um, but he never got to the quarterback. Yep. And he's become a very good pass rusher who finishes in the NFL. Yeah, I I liked Denell Hunter. I had him, because uh, I'm going to go over my notes on him, I had him graded above Shane Ray. Uh, Interesting. Draft. I really because he didn't have anywhere near the production, whatever not, that means. Not even close. Whatever that means. Right. I mean, right. Shane Ray probably had like twenty five, thirty sacks in his career. Right. 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 Um, yeah, I really liked. Uh, and Hunter, by the way, Hunter's turned out to be a better player. No question. Ray's a solid rotational player yeah. in Denver. Hunter's a good player, but Hunter's a good player. Yeah. Uh, but it's a good, it's a good. I mean, Linval Joseph is a is a house inside. Oh my God. He's so powerful. I mean, I would. You could make the argument. I'm sure I'm missing someone because I can't. You know click through 32 teams right now but you could make the argument right you could make the argument that damon harrison and linville joseph might be the Mm. two best run stuffing d tackles in the nfl yeah you you could possibly make that argument i'd say you're probably fair on that yeah it's a good defense yeah it's a good defense and Uh, you know what after the couple of games they've had i'm not saying they're going to come out and shut out the eagles yep but i think that they'll be better than they've been the last two weeks it's a and look it's a big test uh, for this eagles offense from a protection standpoint uh the Look, they haven't looked quite what they normally do in Minnesota the last two weeks against Buffalo, a disappointing loss at home. Uh, I don't Buffalo know was all, an odd game. Yeah, it I don't was know, an odd and, game. And I don't know if all this Everson Griffin stuff is like affecting the locker room. Right, like, right. You, you, it could be. Knows, maybe. Yeah. But they haven't looked quite the same like in terms yeah. of like the mentality and the urgency and things like that. But this is a talented group that they've got to come ready for. They can't expect that no. that's what they're going to see no. on Sunday afternoon. Uh, offensively, new new guy in town, both at offensive coordinator and also at quarterback. Uh, what have you seen from John DeFilippo and Kirk Cousins here? The, the, I think the you see a lot show. of Eagles stuff. I made that note. Why, you know, I think I make that note every week. Yeah. Well, right. when it's Eagle, I don't mean it's sure. Eagle stuff, but stuff we're used to seeing yep. with the Eagles. But I tell you, let's putting aside getting into you know every concept that he runs. Yep. I think what's been interesting, and obviously Dalvin Cook's been injured, but they've not run the ball, and I think that that's been a problem for them mm. because I, I I like Kirk Cousins as a quarterback. And I think he's a good quarterback, and you can line him up and be very good. But I think when all said and done, he probably needs a pretty good run game, and they've not been able to run the ball at they've, all. They've had major issues uh, along the issue. offensive line. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's an issue for them. And he, I would say historically, and even this year playing out that way, doesn't historically handle pressure consistently well in my mind. No. Yeah. I would say that that's fair. And, you know, one of the reasons I think that – Washington kind of let him walk, which they did, is I think the feeling was that there were times too often in his career where he struggled in the red zone. Mm. Um, But he's a good quarterback. He can certainly throw for a lot of yards. Um, They've got two really good wideouts in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Thielen's a slot guy. So you're likely to see, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, it it may not be a head-to-head with Sidney Jones because the Eagles are not a pure man team. Yep. But Sidney Jones will certainly line up over him. You know, like I said, he may not match up to him through the routes. But Adam Thielen is a really good receiver. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the red zone thing with Cousins because I actually made this note in uh, Ben Fennel pulls these stats. And one of the things we look, John DeFilippo there, they were so good, the Eagles last year in yeah. the red zone. Uh, Cousins has been very good in the red zone uh, so far this year. 10 of yeah. 15, 66.7% completion, six touchdowns, no picks. Right. Third best quarterback rating. And I bet the that's zone. the DeFilippo I think so. uh, input because no he struggled in Washington in the red zone. Yep. 
So uh, you look at uh, you know what they're able to do. That those group of pass catchers are very talented. Uh, Diggs and the- I, I love Adam Thielen. So do I. He's one of my favorite receivers yep. in the NFL. Um, you know, and then you look at Kyle Rudolph, who who can always hurt you. He had the touchdown in the NFC title game to start things off uh, last year. Laquan Treadwell obviously has not lived up uh, to expectations. Uh, was not. A, and it'll be interesting to see how the Eagles play because the Vikings do play a lot of twelve personnel. Yep. Will they stay big nickel or will they play Grugier Hill? I mean, you know, it, it, we don't know that. Yep. It seems you know to, they mix and match. Yep. But they do line up in twelve. They don't run the ball a ton. Obviously, no. but they want to get Dalvin Cook the football in space. Like right. they make a concerted effort to get him the football. And the, the pass question catcher. is, with ten days off, will he now? I mean, I, I think I read that he still didn't feel like he was a hundred percent. Did you read that? Yes, I did. So I mean, again, who knows? But he's a good back. He's and, explosive. Yeah, and if he's healthy, yeah. he's a real good back. Yeah, no question. So. Um, it's going to be interesting. You hope the defense is able to bounce back. It's a talented pair of receivers there. Uh, they've got the veteran Aldrick Robinson as well. It's a good passing scheme. Yeah. Which is what they try and do. Um, so this is a big test. Both sides of the football. It's a here. very big test. And whenever you're coming off a loss, and particularly a bad loss, you know that kind of sticks in your craw. It's a home game. I'd like to think the crowd will be juiced up and behind yep. their Eagles. You know, and this is with the schedule as you said that's coming up. This is a really big game. Yeah, and the and the Vikings, their backs are against the wall. Correct. The, you know, you can't they? go. They're one two and one. Right? They're one two and one. They yeah. can't go one three and one in the NFC no. North. No. Uh, so this is a big game here for Minnesota, uh, coming off a, a little bit of a long week. So, uh, Greg, looking forward to watching it here with you here at the Novacare. The bi- it's the big Fox game, the big national game. Fran. That's right. So we get uh, Buck and Aikman. They, that's right. Yeah, it's going to be a, a fun listen, I'm sure. I'll have Marilyn Mike on in the studio. There you go. All right, Greg. Appreciate the time here as always. We'll talk to you next week. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and give us a rating or even leave us a comment. I wanted to highlight two comments this past week from our Apple Podcast page. First off, Grizz one checked in with a question about Jalen Mills. What can Jalen do to stop getting beaten on double moves? Is he trying to jump the route in order to make a pick? Is he leaving or is he looking in the backfield instead of the uh, looking at the receiver? What does he need to do to change in order to avoid getting beat? Great question, Grizz, and it's one that I know uh, a lot of Eagles fans are asking uh, over the course of the last couple of weeks. When I look at Jalen, I think double moves are just a fact of life. You know, I'll live with the double moves, honestly, from Jalen Mills on an occasional basis. Now, this year we've probably seen a couple more than I would like so far through four games. The one he gave up this week early on in the game on that out-and-up route, that's almost a, a damned-if-you-do, damned-if-you-don't deal for Jalen because it's third and short. He's lined up against a receiver with a tight split, so he's lined up close to the quarterback. He's running out towards the sideline. If he doesn't drive on that throw... He's going to get killed right now on the radio for giving up an easy three-yard catch for a first down to move the chains. So he drives on it and then recovers to the point where, if I remember right, if my memory serves, he was actually able to contend that throw a little bit, and the receiver was able to make a nice catch down the field. I can live with that. But, you know, because guess what? If you're aggressive and you're an outside corner, you know, Greg talked about it a little bit ago, like that's corners get beat. That's, that's a fact of life in the NFL. If you're aggressive and you're an outside corner, sometimes that's a thing that's just going to happen. Now, on the ones where it's, say, you know, second and 20, maybe don't bite on the, the quick slant and go. You know, yeah, yes, he's trying to drive quickly on that throw underneath, uh, not just so he can make an interception or get a pass breakup necessarily, but also that he can contact the catch point, limit yards after catch. He's a physical guy. He's a competitive guy. Jalen's going to be that. He's always going to be that. 
but I still contend that he is getting a little bit more of a bad rap right now than he would deserve. Not all of these plays that he's given up down the field are on his plate. That's just the way I feel. A couple of the double moves, sure, he'd like to have back, but every corner in the league gives up double moves. That's just a fact of life, like I said, in today's NFL. Uh, I think really when you look at Jalen over the, the long haul, I still think this is a guy that's in the Eagles' plans moving forward uh, as a starting player. But uh, our next comment comes from Jeffrey Kerberg, who left a five-star rating saying just how much he loves the show and how he listens every week. So uh, shout-out to both T. Grizz and Jeffrey Kerberg and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And speaking of our podcast, I talked about this last week. But we've undergone a bit of a transition with our podcast channels over the last couple weeks. So just one final time, I promise this will be the last time. Let me just give you a full run through. You know you've got the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. You're listening to it right now. If this is your first time listening, head on over to just subscribe, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, however you're listening. Give us a subscribe. We've got you covered each week, X's and O's analysis all year round. You won't regret subscribing to this show. Now, over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, that's a weekly show now. And if you're like me, you've always kind of peeking. You're always kind of peeking ahead at who are the big names to watch in the NFL uh, and college football. Who are, who are going to be the guys that you're watching now on Saturdays that are going to impact Sundays? If that's the case with you, you're going to love that show. If you want to know who to watch each week and whose stock is on the rise this season for the draft next spring, that's all we cover on a weekly basis. So this is the first year we've done it all the way through the college football season, and I'm thrilled with it so far. So go give that a subscription. We've got the Eagles Live podcast with Dave Spadaro. That's where you're going to get exclusive interviews each week. Dave does uh, two shows each week in season, one immediately after the game and one late in the week as a preview for the upcoming game. So go give that a listen. Give that a subscribe as well if you want to look behind the scenes of the Eagles organization. Then you've got the Feeding the Birds podcast with our line chef, uh, Tim Wilson, who is in-house here at the Novacare Complex, and or Tim Lopez, uh, where we're always talking about two of my favorite topics football and food and Tim does a great job uh, they've got exclusive one-on-one interviews with players and coaches on that show it's only once a month so it's not a huge commitment on your part go give it a listen it's a fun show uh, and every year every month they're always getting in fun guests and they're always like I said talking food and football we've got the Eagles game day central podcast channel right now on there you can go and get all of your post-game recaps. That's the, the, where the post-game show uh, presented by Rico is with Chris McPherson and Ike Reese. Those guys give immediate insight into the game. You get exclusive interviews and things like that, good insight and analysis right away. And we make that show available immediately after it airs on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the app and all the social channels. So you know, if you're driving home from the game or if you're driving home from a party, you want to give that a listen or if you want to listen first thing in the morning on Monday – We've got you covered there. And all the press conferences are there, all the locker room sound. You're not going to find all that in one place on one podcast channel except there, Eagles Game Day Central. Next up, Eagles on the Record. That's where you're always going to get all of the player and player interviews, whether they're in-studio interviews with Dave Spadaro or with uh, Molly Sullivan. If it's a press conference during the week with Carson Wentz or you know Jim Schwartz or Doug Peterson, you're going to find all of that stuff on Eagles on the Record. And then lastly, we've got the Eagles 360 channel. It's got its own channel. You know Eagles 360. It used to be the Eagles update five times a week. Quick recap, daily, the, the uh, day's latest news uh, and notes coming from the Novacare Complex. So if you just want a quick way to get all the latest buzz from the office here and get caught up before dinner, that channel is the way to go. So that's what we've got for you right now on all of our podcast channels. You can go, you can subscribe, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts, they should always be there. And if they're not, 
just shoot me a note on Twitter and say, hey, you know, I use this app. How come I'm not seeing them here? Uh, I'll make sure that you get covered. So, all right, let's keep this podcast going, though, earlier. Uh, I told you that we would dive into Vikings defensive end Danell Hunter, my notes on him coming out of LSU. He's the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Donnell Hunter, 6051, so 6'5 and one ace, 252 pounds. And at LSU, he lined up at a two or a three point stance, both standing up or with his hand in the dirt as a right defensive end in their 4 3 scheme. Coincidentally, that's where he's lining up right now for Mike Zimmer. He really looked the part. I believe NFL.com had their comparison as Jason Pierre Paul, uh, just because the kid was six foot five, just freak show arm length, just a really good looking kid. Athletic edge guy, very light on his feet, looked natural on the move, displayed good play recognition. I liked how well he was able to see blocks developing on perimeter runs and how he was able to sniff out screen plays. I thought he had a natural feel for that. More importantly, as a pass rusher, he relied on his speed and his physical tools. He would mix in an inside jab step where he'd try and step outside, then cut inside. He would have a little spin move as well, and he showed the ability to consistently go speed to power off the edge. And while it wasn't very technical, he showed the willingness and the ability to mix that in. He was also just always disrupting passing lanes. He was very active getting after the quarterback. Showed surprising ability at the point of attack as a run defender. He would lock his arms out. He attacked arm, uh, attacked blocks with good hand placement. Would stalemate left tackles as an edge setter. Did a good job of using his hands to you know stack and shed and flow to the football. He displayed a good motor as well. He took good angles in pursuit. Had good speed in the open field. Could make plays from the backside and even dropped in coverage every once in a while, whether it was zone or man against the running back. So the biggest knock, and Greg mentioned this earlier. Very little uh, sack production, only one and a half sacks. I believe he may have had a few over his career, but for sure only one and a half uh, in his final season there at LSU. So even though all the traits were there, you know there were the, the questions about his production. How come he didn't get after the quarterback? Uh, the tools, I would say, like his solid first step, it wasn't great. Um, and so there were questions, all right, is he going to be able to win off the edge? Uh, that was not helped by the fact that he was consistently laid off the ball, um, popped right up out of his stance as well. His pad level wasn't great. He would expose his chest to tackles. They were able to get inside his pads quickly. At times, I thought he looked a little bit stiff turning the corner, so he wasn't like this freaky, natural bender turning the corner, and not certainly like what we saw with Harold Landry this past week uh, with the Tennessee Titans. I still wanted to see him get a little bit bigger and stronger as well. He had a lot of flash plays. He just wasn't consistent and he wasn't productive. And at the end of the day, I mentioned earlier, I was higher than most people in the media on uh, Danell Hunter. I had him ranked ahead of guys like Shane Ray. Uh, he was a first-round pick. I had him ranked ahead of Nate Orchard and Eli Harold. They were second- and third-round picks. I wrote as my final summary that he could develop into a very good starter down the road and at the very least should be a role player. He started as a role player, became now uh, what I would say is a very good starter in the NFL. He uses his length well in all areas, must improve as being a more consistent pass rusher. Now, going back and reading my notes on Hunter, I can see the areas where I was right, and and honestly, it plays a little bit towards how I'm starting to feel about edge rushers in general coming out of college. I really liked Hunter because he was a big, long kid. Even though he wasn't great with his hands, he understood how to go speed to power, and to me, a guy that knows how to properly use speed to power rush and mix it in well shows a guy who understands how to use his plan of attack against an opposing offensive lineman. He's not just deciding before the snap, oh, I'm going to run the hoop or you know, oh, I'm just going to bull rush him. I'm going to go inside and see what happens. 
a good speed to power rusher mixes in a speed rush, but then will chop his feet, get the tackle to open up his chest, and then bury him through his inside number, collapse the pocket on his way to the quarterback. And I thought he showed that. So yeah, he was still thinking things through with how to use his hands. You know, he wasn't using his hands necessarily to win at the top of the rush, but that basic understanding gave me hope. And then I watched the way he competed, both in the run game at the point of attack, as well as in pursuit on the backside. And I had heard how great of a kid he was. And I just felt confident with his ability to stick and his ability to improve with knowing the the traits that he did have. Now, the big thing I want to note as well, this kid was 6'5", 250-plus pounds, and he tested well. He was a good athlete. He had pretty good size you know, for the, for the edge rush position. He was not known for crazy flexibility and his ability to turn the corner. In years past, I've been known to be really high on some of these leaner pass rushers who can win with speed. Leonard Floyd was a guy I loved. I really liked Randy Gregory on film. I thought Anthony Barr from the voice speaking about the Vikings could be a pure edge guy. I really liked Barkevius Mingo. But the more I do this and the more I watch the film of the league, the more I think that you need to have size off the edge to be a full-time player and to be a really impactful pass rusher, to be that guy that offenses have to prepare for. Leonard Floyd, you know, the jury saw he may still be a good player. I think Khalil Mack's presence there in Chicago certainly helps him uh, to now that he's more of a complement than a primary pass rusher. But, you know, look at the top pass rushers in the NFL. I'll just pull up the sack list of who's leading the league in sacks. Demarcus Lawrence, he's 6'3", 265. He's rocked up. Khalil Mack was 6'2", 250 plus coming out. Tack McKinley, five sacks this year. He was a big kid coming out 6'2", 250. J.J. Watt is a freak show physically. Miles Garrett, freak show. Throw Hunter in there. He's 250-plus coming out. Cam Jordan, big guy. DeForest Buckner, Calais Campbell. Uh, Frank Clark was 270 pounds coming out of Michigan. I'm just going down the list. Carlos Dunlap, Chandler Jones. These guys are long. They've got weight on them. They're able to hold up and be three-down players off the edge. So that gives me some pause with some of these skinny pass rushers now coming out of the college level. Last year, it was guys like Arden Key. But, you know, the Leonard Floyds, the Vic Beasleys, the Barkevius Mingos of the world – they worry me a bit now, and you see how some of them have reacted to the NFL. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit more worried than I would be or would have been a couple years ago. I look at Hunter and the guy that should be honestly starting on the other side of him and Everson Griffin for this Vikings team. I see two big, strong, powerful men who, yeah, maybe they weren't known for their flexibility turning the corner, but they can win in a lot of ways. And in the NFL, they have developed pass rush plans. You'll always hear me talking about that with edge guys now. And it's guys like Hunter that have brought me to that conviction. He's a guy that the Eagles absolutely have to account for here on Sunday afternoon. Watch for that matchup with Jason Peters at times with Lane Johnson, but mostly with Everson Griffin out. He lines up at right defensive end against the left tackle. So great stuff from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you. And again, one more time, please take a few seconds, go rate the show, leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.